to be in Luke 19, 11 to 27. But before you turn there, I want you to turn to, to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm going to begin there and then we'll settle into Luke 19 eventually. 2 Corinthians 5, if you would. We look at the work of faith. 2 Corinthians 5, starting at verse 6. And here, Paul is reminding the Corinthian Christians there at that church that after salvation, you know, salvation is not the end, it's just the beginning. There's a life of faith we are to live. So here, 2 Corinthians 5, 6. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. And in verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And here, here we have the reminder from Paul that there is a life of faith that we are to live. There are things we are to, to, to do. We are to please the Lord. And you know, it says there in verse 9, we make it our aim to please Him. And I hope that's true for you. But there is a time coming when each of us will stand before the Lord and have to give account of our, our lives and our ministry and what we did with our spiritual gifts and how we serve the Lord. Now, look, at the ver look at the beginning of verse 11 there. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we, we persuade others. This is the fear of the Lord, having this holy reverence for who God is and, and what he's done for us through Christ. We should want to live for the Lord. Uh, so this is not a burdensome thing, not a fearful thing, you know, that one day we'll stand in judgment. Uh, when, do, when does this take place, the judgment seat of Christ? Well, it takes place as soon as you get to heaven, whether it be you know, af after your death, you know, if you're in Christ, or at the rapture, we'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And it's, the question is not whether or not you'll be in heaven or you have salvation, you're in heaven. It's, you know, it's the reward that we re receive. Uh, some, some people will get there and be ashamed that they didn't, they didn't serve the Lord. They didn't use their gifts for, for God's glory. But this morning we're going to look at the work of faith and, and how, how our lives should look as we walk with the Lord. So turn back to Luke 19, if you would. With, with that idea in mind, one day there is a judgment coming where the things we do matter and we will give account for what we have done for Christ. So as we progress through Luke, what a tremendous gospel, what a tremendous book, and there's so many different themes. And here, this really is the last message before the Passion Week. For if you look down at verse 28 there of Luke 19 is the 
triumphal entry. That's just a week before his death. So, these, you know, as I've been saying here in these last several weeks, these, uh, you know, the five messages really leading up to that point are all about faith. And we, you know, even going back to Luke 18, 15, talking about how there is simplicity to faith. There is simplicity. It's, you know, we are to believe uh, like with, with the faith of a child. Uh, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And so there is simplicity to it. And we, we often overthink it and find so many reasons not to believe. We just need to believe, simply. But then we saw the surrender of faith with a rich young ruler who had an elevated view of himself. He thought he perfectly kept the law, which he didn't. But he, he was attached to his riches and wasn't willing to give those up to trust Christ. And, and he went away sorrowful. And so we must surrender anything and everything that holds us back from faith. And then we looked at the praise of faith, how you know, we need to rejoice in what, what Christ does. Um, there's the plan there, how he came to earth and he lived and died and was buried and rose again. All those things. We rejoice and then he healed the blind beggar there and it restored the sight to Bartimaeus. And everybody rejoiced. And then we saw the, uh, the reach of faith last week with Zacchaeus. And you know, the notorious tax collector who, who was hated by all in Jericho. And he, he came to faith in Christ. Anybody and everybody can be saved. And so the question this morning is, do you know Christ? Have you been saved? If you've never put your faith in Christ, this would be a wonderful day to, to, you know, to do that. Uh, this, this, last, this last passage before the Passion Week assumes that you trusted Christ as Savior, and now you, you move on to the life of faith. You know, what does the life of faith look like? What should it look like as we walk with God? So, let's, let's go ahead and just read this passage. It's kind of a lengthy passage, but profitable and good. So, starting here at Luke 19, 11. As they heard these things... He proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that, that the kingdom of God was, was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas and said to them, engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We did not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came to him, that came before him, saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. 
And he said to him, well, well done, good, uh, good servant, because you have been faithful in very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, you are, and you are to be over five cities. Then another came, saying, Lord, here's your mina, which I kept and laid away in a handkerchief. Now, for I was afraid of you, because you are a severe man. You did not, uh, you take what you did not deposit, and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank? And at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. I, will t I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine, who do not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Wow. So that's our text for the, for the morning. Let's open in prayer here and pray for the Lord's blessing on this time together. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. Thank you for the inerrant scripture. Lord, we can trust to be accurate and right and the authority that we need. And Lord, I pray that this morning as we dig into this text, the work of faith, how the life of faith should look, I pray for each of us who know Christ as Savior. I pray that we would evaluate the life we are living, whether or not we are fully pleasing you, whether or not we are occupying until you come, we are engaging in business, we are doing everything we can to bring you glory. And Lord, I pray today if, if there are areas that we need to change or correct, that we would be willing to, to do that. I just pray that the Holy Spirit would guide us, would speak through me. Lord, I pray the Holy Spirit would teach us in, in every heart what you would have for us. We thank you that we have the words of Christ. Even hear the instruction from Scripture. And I just pray for your blessing. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. What a text. So, uh, longer passage, but awesome. Uh, the first point is the reminder. That's in verse 11. The reminder. And here as they continue on, we look at the setting. They are, you know, Jesus is with his disciples and they're traveling along. And you remember where they have been. The last few passages, they've been in and around Jericho which was about 15 miles northeast of Jerusalem. But they're on the way to Jerusalem because the Passover is soon to happen, probably about a, a week, week and a half away. And that's one of those feasts that the, uh, the Jews had to travel to Jerusalem. And that's what they were doing. Now, Christ knew all along that his 
time on earth was short, that he, he had just a limited time left, and he would, himself would die on Passover as the Passover lamb for the whole world. But here it says in verse, verse 11, as they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem. He knew this plan of God for, for him, that he was to die. But look at what, you know, he, he, know, he knew the thoughts of the twelve. And it says there at the end of 11, because they supposed that the kingdom of God would, was to appear immediately. I mean, they, they wanted the kingdom to appear. That, that would have been awesome for them to behold. And they'd been waiting for that all along. They, they believed he was the Messiah. And that, anyway, they were right in that be, belief there. But they, they thought you know, he was going to Jerusalem not to die, but to defeat the Romans and to, to set up his kingdom. And they, you know, they thought, hey, we're the 12 he has chosen. Surely we will have the, the places of prominence and the positions of power in the kingdom. And they were excited about this. And you know, rightfully so. They didn't realize that he was actually going to, to die and to suffer and all those things. And you know, just back in chapter 18, he explained all that. How he'd be delivered, he'd be de- delivered to the Gentiles, and be mocked and and all those things, shamefully treated, killed, and rise again, and they didn't understand it. So, the principle here is that the cross must come before the crown. The cross must come before the crown, and you know that's true for Christ. You know, here he 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 had to die. He came to this earth ultimately to, to die. His first coming was about his sacrificial death. You know, just backing up one verse to verse 10 of Luke 19, the, you know, the theme verse of this gospel, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That's why Christ came, to seek and save the lost. How many of us were lost? I mean, we were all lost before Christ. Every one of us is born in a lost state. But he, he had to die. The reason for Christmas was the crucifixion. And it was so important. He had to, he, you know, he had to suffer and die. But in his second coming, at the glorious appearing, the battle of Armageddon, he comes in, in power and glory, ultimately, to set up his throne and to establish the kingdom then, which... We're still waiting for. It still, it still hasn't happened yet. So the cross before the crown for Christ, but it's true for us as well. We must, each of us must come to the cross in faith and trust Christ and be born again. That, that comes before we will ever have a crown, before we will receive any crown. You know, the Bible tells us that, that we will rule and reign with Christ. Yeah, in, in his kingdom. But the only ones allowed to rule and reign with him are those who have come to the cross and humbled themselves and been born again. So again, this, this morning I ask, have you been born again? Have you come to the cross? Uh, so here, here the reminder. They thought 
it's going to be great to rule and to be in the kingdom without ever having to, to, to suffer and Christ not having to die. But had he never died, you know, no one would be saved. He would have no people who would be allowed to live in the kingdom. No one would be for, forgiven. So that's, that's the reminder. Second is, is the rain in verse 12. The rain. And here he tells this, this parable, which is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And he, he says there in verse 12, A nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. And so here, the point of the parable, here, the, the main character, the nobleman, is a picture of Christ him, himself. As he, as he delivers the parable. This is Christ. And we see there, he did three things in the parable. He went into a far country. He received for himself a kingdom. And then he, he would return. And, you know, looking back at, at Christ and his ministry and his life, that's exactly what he did. He, he was on earth, and he would go to a far country heaven and receive a kingdom and then one day we'll come back again and we're still waiting for that last part his 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 return but this is you know this parable is you know it's a reminder of you know it's a, it, it's you know we need to evaluate our lives how am i living for christ what am i doing in in light of the return of this nobleman uh, here now, he receives the kingdom after his his death. Satan thought he had defeated Christ, but then he rose again. And you remember at the uh, the great commission there, in Matthew twenty eight eighteen, Christ told his disciples at that point. That's after the resurrection, and he's about to ascend up to heaven. He says, "All authority has been given to me." I mean, it, he already had the authority. So he is, he, right now, we have a spiritual kingdom that for all who trust Christ as Savior and who are in Christ, we are part of the spiritual kingdom. The physical kingdom, the thousand-year reign of Christ, is yet to come, and it will come after his, his second coming here on earth. But he's, he's going to receive the kingdom um, Colossians 1.16, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, for Christ. This is his kingdom. Um, so, the reign. So the nobleman goes and he, he goes to receive a kingdom in return. And then the the. Point three is, is the responsibility. And we see that in verse 13. The responsibility. He calls ten servants. And just for the sake of the parable, he calls ten servants, giving them ten minas. And said to them, engage in business until I come. Engage in business. Or as the King James says, occupy until I come. Stay busy. Work. There are, there's things to, to do. 
Um, we don't, you know, we're not saved just to, just to take it easy, to live a life of ease, to sit back and you know, watch the pastor work or this or that. We all are, are saved to, to work and to labor for Christ. Um, here, when you think about this, ten minas. So each servant received a mina. Now, back in that day, a, a mina is equivalent, or it, it was equivalent to three months' wages. So, to put that in context, I looked it up. The average salary in the U.S. in 2023 is $60,000. Right now, the average salary is $60,000. So, in our current context, if you were to be given a mina now, that'd be like being handed $15,000. Imagine that. Someone hands you $15,000 and says, engage in business until I come. What, what are you going to do with that money? Uh, there's, there's many different options, you know, as we see in this text. Engage in business. Now, the parallel passage in Matthew is similar, but it's different in some of the specifics. Um, Matthew tells how there's three servants who receive money, and one receives five talents, one two, and then the last one, one talent. And a talent is a little bigger than a mina. A talent is equivalent to 20 years' wages. <laughs> so a, a mina is three months' wages. A talent is five year, uh, 20 years' wages. So using that $60,000 benchmark, uh, one talent is equivalent to $1.2 million. So a little bit different. So in, in that passage here in Matthew 25, there's a servant who receives $6 million, uh, one that receives $2.4 million, and one $1.2 million, and told to engage in business. Um, but regardless of the amounts, we see there's, there's a stewardship, there's a responsibility with, with that money. Uh, what's it look like for us? Does, does God give us $15,000 or $6 million when we trust Christ as Savior? <laughs> no, of course not. You know, if, if that happened, there is you know, some number in between there, we'd have people coming to Christ all over the place for the wrong reasons, right? It's just to get rich, quick. Uh, but really, the money was not given to them as a gift. It was given to them as a stewardship. They were just simply to manage it for the nobleman. Uh, they, they were just to take care of it until he came back. And really, that's, that's true for the money that we have. It's, you know, we're just managing it for, for Christ as a stewardship. But here, we've, we've received actually something a lot greater than, say, $15,000 or six million dollars, we've received God-given abilities to serve, spiritual gifts. And, you know, we, we each have at least one gift after trusting Christ. 
and we, you know, we need to be busy using those. I want you to turn uh, over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're just going to look at this briefly. 1 Corinthians 12, about spiritual gifts, which I believe are far more valuable and uh, precious than physical money. But 1 Corinthians 12 here in this passage on spiritual gifts, starting at verse 4. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all, and get this, in everyone. So everyone has a spiritual gift. And it goes on, verse 7. To each, that's to each person who trusts Christ, is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And, you know, you see there, God gives you these abilities to serve, not for you, but it's for the common good. It's for, it's for the church. It's to build up the church of Christ for the common good. And then look down at verse 11. All these, and after he lists a bunch of gifts there, are empowered by one and the same Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. No, no Christian, no person who's come to faith in Christ can say, I, I don't have a spiritual gift. That's, that's not true. Here we see very clearly, at least in three verses, Every believer has a gift, and some may have more gifts than others. It's just according to how the Holy Spirit wills and hands those gifts out. Now, I believe you know, some gifts, the sign gifts, have ceased. They were temporary just for the church apostolic age, but so many gifts, you re, you know, they remain. They're, they're still in place. Uh, you know, some are just mentioned there, but you know, these include serving, the gift of service, teaching, exhortation, giving, leading, mercy, faith, helping, administration, evangelism, pastor and teacher, and speaking as well. So, so many gifts. What are you doing with your God-given ability to serve? Are you, are you using it for the, for the common good? So back to, back to Luke 19, if you would. What a treasure we have. These God-given abilities by the Holy Spirit to serve God within the church. Uh, occupy until I come. Stay busy. Work. Don't just sit back and watch other people work. So the, the, the next point here, uh, four, the rejection. The rejection. We see that in verse 14. But his citizens, that's the nobleman's, here, here's the citizens of this kingdom, hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. <laughs> here we see the rejection. 
of the people in the kingdom. Now, there were certain servants who did obey and were faithful stewards, but many within the kingdom didn't, didn't want him to rule over them. And you know, so, so it is even now. As we look around our world, wouldn't you agree with me that most people would say this? We don't want Christ to reign over us. We, we just want to do our own thing. And, and that's true. Christ says, you know, he said even back in chapter 13 of Luke, he was asked, are there few who, who, who will be saved? And he, and he said that, that, you know, there's the narrow gate. Many will seek to enter and will not be able to. You know, the few will be saved. Uh, and then we have the return here, point five. Luke 19, you know, 15 to 21, we have the return. The nobleman comes back from his, his journey. He has, you know, he's, he's received the kingdom, and he calls these, these uh, servants who he's entrusted money to, each, you know, the $15,000, for sake of the illustration, and, and they must give account. What, what did they do with the money? Well, the rewards are based on diligence, or based on their faithfulness. And it's not really even their talent or ability, it's just, were they faithful? Were they active? Did, did they put forth effort and serve him? So, you see these responses. There's really three different responses, three examples given here of the ten. But the first one, in verses 16 and 17, the first came before him. And maybe he was first because he was just the most excited to you know, give the good news. Hey, this is multiplied tenfold. That's amazing. And I've been so blessed. But here he says there in verse 16, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. That's, that's quite a return, isn't it? Uh, multiplied tenfold there. Uh, and Christ says to him, or the nobleman says, well done, good servant. Uh, you know, the parallel passage, we, we know a little, a little better. Matthew 25, 21 says, His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. That's, you know, we all want to hear that, right? When we see the Lord one day, I think we should all want to hear that. Well done, good and faithful servant. And you know, here it says, you've been faithful over a little. Now think about that. You've been faithful over a little. They say, well, $15,000 is not... A little. I mean, that'd be a lot to some people. It'd be a lot to me. Um, but when you think about that, he was given ten cities to rule over. Ten cities. So what, what is $15,000 when you consider ruling ten cities for a thousand years? I mean, it's very little. Very little. 
Uh, and I think we're talking about here the, the authority given in the millennial kingdom and the, uh, the privilege of serving Christ our King in government. Uh, but here, multiplied is 15K to 150K. Uh, and then the second, the second servant comes forward. And he's probably kind of ashamed after hearing that report of, of the first tenfold. Well, verse 18, and the second came, saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. So half as good as the first, but still good, uh, fivefold. Uh, you know, it's, I guess you could say average, or, you know, he, he, he did accomplish something, and that's good. And it says there, verse 19, and you are to be over five cities. And so here he, he receives this authority. He receives re reward according to his work. And so it is for us. But then we come to the last one in verse 20. And another came saying, Lord, here's your mina, yeah, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief or a napkin. For I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and you reap what you did not sow. Wow, what a, what a report. Here this third servant to give account to say, I didn't do anything with that. I didn't lose it, but I did nothing with it. I just hid it away. It gained absolutely nothing. It's just, this is what it is. You, you gave it to me and I just kept it safe. That's all. And, you know, here he tries to justify his disobedience because he didn't do what he was told. He was supposed to engage in business. He was to put that money to work and to please the nobleman. And he, he justifies his disobedience with, you know, he had a false view of the nobleman. It says there, uh, oh, where is it? 21, for I was afraid of you. I was afraid of you. He had this, we talked earlier about the fear of the Lord, this, this reverential, holy awe of God that we should, we should want to live for him and please him and not want to let him down. But here is a different kind of fear, a fear of punishment, a fear of judgment, a fear of, you know, here he sees the nobleman not as a loving Lord, but as a, a cruel judge. And he, he's terrified to try anything that he might be judged for, not knowing that what he's doing is bringing judgment on himself. And so, so this rebuke here. Um, so, you know, here you think, you know, only three are highlighted out of the ten. But really, there's the three different categories. There's somebody who who goes all out with what they have been given and put forth 100% effort and please the Lord. May that be true for all of us, that we do everything we can with what we've been given. 
We don't make excuses. Uh, be, be like this person who made the ten minas. But some of us are like the middle person who did something and didn't do as much as he could have, uh, yet he did more than others, kind of half-hearted or, you know, in the middle. Uh, that's, you know, receives less re- reward, but it's not as bad as it could be. But may we strive to be the best and to serve the Lord fully. Some of us, though, <laughs> sad to say, are like the, the third man here who, who did nothing and made excuses for it. He thought he was doing the right thing, and he, he was condemned. He was a wicked servant, as we'll see. Let's, let's make sure we serve the Lord. We have these God-given abilities uh, to, to serve. All right, and then our last point is the rebuke there in verses 22 to 27. You know, this is a parable. It's not an actual account. But there are, are spiritual principles that we can draw from this, for sure. And we see the consequences from rejecting Christ for those who reject the Lord. What, what happens? So look at 22 here. We have the wicked servant. The wicked servant. He said to him, here the nobleman says to this, <laughs> to the man who did nothing with the mina or the pound, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. <laughs> you're, you're condemned. And it's by the very things you're saying. You're trying to justify yourself and all along you're proving that you're disobedient, that you're wicked, that you're worthless. Um, now, he claimed to be a servant. And, in fact, he was counted as a servant. He was part of the ten who was given a mina each. But he proved that he really wasn't a true servant by the way he lived and by the way he viewed the nobleman. So important. So here, he's, he's condemned by his own words. And... The nobleman, Christ, here in the parable, says it's just common sense. You could have at least, if you didn't want to do anything, at least just put the money in the bank. And it would accrue a little interest. It would at least do something. So when I came back, there'd be a little bit of gain. (laughs) And he didn't even do that. Um, he didn't even live by common sense. Uh, as the saying goes, sin will make you stupid and, and cause you to do silly things. And so that's, that's definitely true here. What was the judgment? Verse 24 there. And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. <laughs> So this man, the the one who had done absolutely everything he could and was the most faithful of the servants, was to gain another mina. I mean, he was to be more more abundantly blessed. And here we see the the shock and the outrage. 
as it says, well, it says in 25, and they, this is everyone who hears it. They're just amazed. How can this be? It doesn't make sense. They said to him, Lord, he has 10 minus. He's already got the most. He doesn't need any more. Don't give it to him. Maybe give it to the guy who has five or give it to somebody else. And we see the explanation there in 26. Christ says, everyone who has, more will be given. But the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. God, God wants to bless us. He wants to bless us with abundance. In that parallel passage in, in uh, Matthew 25, 29, uh, Christ, or the, or the nobleman, the master in that parable says, for to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. And that's true. He wants you to have abundance. He wants you to have abundantly more than you have now. Uh, if you are faithful to give the Lord everything and to please him, he wants to give you more than you ever think that you deserve. Exceedingly abundantly, more than we can ask or think, if Ephesians 3. Uh, and that's, that's what we see here. The guy who has the mina, who did nothing, has it taken away. He has nothing left. And he proves he's an unbeliever. He proves he's a wicked servant. That he never knew the Lord in the first place. Um, he shows it. And it's evident even in his words. And how he views the nobleman. Uh, we've, we've been given so much. Let's make sure we use the blessings we have for, for Christ. And not be like this wicked servant. Uh, Matthew 25, 30, he's actually called a worthless servant. Cast out the the worthless servant into the outer darkness, the master says. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so we know that, of course, is hell. That's the end of all who never did trust Christ as Savior. Or those who profess Christ, like this servant, but never served him, never obeyed him with their lives. So, the, the wicked servant. And then we have the rebellious citizens here in 27. Now, earlier, uh, back, in, you know, back in verse 14, you know, we read about how they sent a delegation to the nobleman and said, we don't want him to reign over us. We'd rather do our own thing. Well, what's the end of that? Well, the very last verse here of the passage. But as for these enemies of mine, who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Wow, that's, that's cruel, isn't it? But each of these citizens made the choice. They rejected the nobleman. They rejected his authority. They rejected his right to reign. And so it is even today. For all who are just wise in their own eyes and say, I don't, 
I don't believe there's a God or I don't want him to rule over me. They laugh at Christ. You know, they just laugh to their own shame. And one day they will, they will die for all eternity. They will be, in a spirit, you know, here, here in a metaphorical sense, slaughtered. They, they, will, they will die for all eternity, separated from God. The, the rebellious citizens. So here we have, in, in the rebuke, we have two categories of people who end up in the same place, end up in hell. You have those who profess to be Christian. They profess to, to believe in God, yet by their life they prove that they don't know him, and they end up there. And those here in this second group who, who are enemies, they, they never claim to believe in God, and they go to the same place. So what a, what a sobering thought. What a concept to think about. Um, hopefully, no one in this room is in this category, having rejected Christ. Saying, no, I, I don't want him to reign over me. I want to live my own life. I want to do things my way. We, we bring condemnation on our own self. So, application. How do we... How do we apply this? Well, the, the main thing we see here is that we each must put our faith in Jesus Christ. Do you know him as your Savior? Have, have you trusted him? We must submit to Christ as King and have saving faith. So if you believe he's Lord, you believe Jesus Christ is Lord and believe he died on the cross for you, tell him what the, you know, that, that you believe. Repent of your sins and call on him to save you. And he absolutely will. That's so important. And then you need to realize if you don't do that, if you never put your faith in Christ, that whenever your life is over, there's no second chance. You, you go directly to torment and to the place of punishment for all eternity. Trust the Lord. It's so easy. It's so necessary. And then the second thing here is that we must obey Christ the King. Every one of us. We are so abundantly blessed. We have spiritual gifts. We have the power of the Holy Spirit indwelling us. We have the Word of God. We have so many blessings. We have a wonderful church to be part of. Let's be active. Don't be like that wicked servant who claimed to be a servant and who didn't serve at all and proved he wasn't saved to begin with. Um, let's, let's be like the, the first guy who, who gave everything and was faithful and received yet more, had, had abundance. James 2 verse 12 says, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. We, we will be judged one day. Here these men stood before their nobleman, the, the Lord. We, we will stand before Christ and he'll, he'll ask, why have you not served 
Here, what, what, what have you done with, with what I have given? And what, what will you say? Oh, I was too afraid to, to fail. I didn't want to do anything. <laughs> oh, then you failed. Be, be active in service. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for this reminder from this parable that we are held, that we are held accountable for the way we live our lives. First and foremost, whether or not we've trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, and then what we have done with that, with the abundant blessings we have in Christ and with the Holy Spirit, do we serve you as best as we can with, with your power? I pray, Lord, that if there's anyone who needs to trust Christ as Savior, they, they would be willing to do so this morning. Maybe there are some today who who just need to, as they look at their lives, they say, I need to start serving. I'm not really doing anything. I'm not using my spiritual gift, or I, I need to just discover what my spiritual gift is. Lord, I pray that people would be willing to step out in faith and even start serving. And so, Lord, we just, we thank you for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen.